Hi, everybody, and welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio. Today, we have Todd Benton as the host, and I'm Helen Hillix as your co-host. And we have a wonderful topic today, why are men really afraid of each other, and what can we do about it? A conversation with interrevolutionary men. Have you ever noticed how few men really have close male friendships? And if they do, they're usually drinking buddies or sports buddies. Why is that? What keeps men from connecting with one another in a real way? Join us as men from the men's group, Inner Revolutionary Men, explore this topic together. We'll share the outcome of our recent retreat, Crush or Build, a workshop for men who want to use our power for the good. What happened in our lives that caused us to feel men weren't safe to connect to? And what happens in our socialization that reinforces that message? Finally, what can we do to undo all that programming and connect to one another in ways that are authentic, caring, loving, and emotionally honest? We're excited to share what we've learned as well as our own challenges in connecting to each other instead of going back to our quote-unquote safe ways of relating. Join us with your questions and comments, too. Okay. Yes. Okay. So here we are. Um, I'm, I'm really excited, and we're uh, we'll get our other guys on with us. <laughs> They're not quite here yet, so Helen and I are going to talk about this to start off with. So uh, I, I want to – were you going to say something, Helen? Well, I'd, I'd like to say, you know, being a, being a therapist myself – Mm-hmm. And obviously a woman, you know, I've seen over the years become increasingly aware of this phenomenon that men don't have friends. And, you know, it, I never even gave it a thought when I was a younger person, never mm-hmm. even gave it a thought or noticed it or just thought, you know, well, it's just that particular guy or it's that particular guy because other guys seem to have friends. But it's not. It's yeah. it's all men, and and that really shocked me. So I'm I'm particularly excited to to hear the show today and to hear what the men have to say, because I, I really am aware that it's a, such a painful phenomenon that afflicts all men, and yeah. it's just very sad. And in studying this, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about men uh, over the last you know several months with the with the, with uh, the same men in our men's group and some of the things that we've been dealing with, you know, we spoke with Ashanti Branch about the Ever Forward Club and, you know, the power of creating a safe space for especially boys that are going through, you know, that 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 transition between, say, 13 years old, 12 years old, maybe, and about 15 and 16. There seems to be something that shifts during that time period from everything I've studied. And I'm going to talk about that a bit today. Like, what does happen? What what goes on with boys before? Like, how how do what, how are they connected before that period of time, and then what shifts and what happens and what transitions, and then how do they they uh, relate after that shift? But what was so great about what Ashanti's doing is he's helping them to not go into that space of like feeling like what it means to be a man is to be not a woman, you know, not a girl, and not be criticized for being a wuss or any of those kinds of things. So. Uh, it's very fascinating that there's this there's this time period, you know, a very short window of time in which boys transition from being, you know, very loving, very caring toward their male friends, and then something, you know, switches, and they 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 get into this culture of no, we can't do that. We're going to get ridiculed. We're going to get 
you know, people are going to betray our trust if we tell our secrets to them. So we're going to talk about that a lot today. And, and uh, not to mention testosterone kicks in. <laughs> yeah, I guess that could be part of it. I'm trying to think back. You know, I, you know, I can't, I can't say that I remember a lot, you know, of that period of my own life, but I, I do have a lot to offer of this. So, um, you know, one of the main questions we ask is why are men afraid of one another? And I think we can tackle that question as we're waiting for our uh, co, you know, our our other men to show up. So um, one of the things we identified in one of, our pre- one of our previous retreats is it comes from a history of having to go to battle with other men. You know, um, if we expose our vulnerability, you know, we have this kind of visceral feeling that if we expose our vulnerability, then men can use it to attack us and harm us either physically or emotionally. So I think that's one of the key ways that we're afraid of one another you mean that um, you mean that men are socialized back to cavemen times? Is that what you're talking about? That yes, and I mean you know it happens. There's a kind of warring that goes on. I mean I remember um, you know being on the playground and just wanting to uh, wanting kids wanting to beat me up, and I didn't really have that uh, impetus to want to beat other kids up, but there definitely were kids that wanted to beat me up. And um, so I, you know, I experienced it from even a, a, you know, a young age being in fear of other, other males. But don't you think it does go back to cavemen mm-hmm. days when there was fighting among clans and so forth and the men being the bigger and stronger sure. uh, m- men, you know, they were the ones that had to kill the saber-toothed tiger and the mammoths and so forth and that being big and strong and masculine in that way was was absolutely life and death yeah i mean i i think a lot of it is just that you know our flighter fight or flight and our you know very early socialization and like you're saying you just just part of our cellular memory that you know uh especially a big man <laughs> you better watch out <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah. I noticed that, that one of our guests, Richard, is on hold. Okay, great. Um, shall we bring him in and welcome him to the conversation? Absolutely. Okay, hi, Richard. Welcome. Hi, Ellen. Hi, Todd. Hi, Richard. Hi. We're, we just started out with the question. Go ahead, Todd. Why are, we, why are we afraid of one another? Why are men afraid of one another is the question we're answering. And we, we're, you know, we're speculating. I don't think anyone has necessarily the answer. So we're just uh, kind of speaking from our own life experience and what we've seen. So what, what do you say, Richard, in response to that question? I don't know. The word intimidation comes to mind. Size. Um, thinking as a small child, how... Mm-hmm. Well, women were certainly bigger than me, too, but there's something about the energy that men carry, um, at least. I, I mean, this is honestly the first time I'm thinking about this, so this is off the top of my head, but there just seems to be something with that um, kind of power energy or male energy, um, you know, that's, that's okay. testosterone-fueled. I don't know. Um, so, so something in the way that you pick up in the male energy is different. Like there's a, are you saying there's a hardness to men uh, that isn't there with women or how would, can you go a little deeper? 
I don't know if I would use the word hardness, but there's okay. there's kind of an in-your-face, mm-hmm. um, you know, confrontive um, experience that I've had. I'm thinking about different meetings that I went to over the years, and I felt that in some settings, not in all, but in some where there was an all-male group that was focused on a particular issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, I've experienced that, and I was always uncomfortable with it. And I also experienced something similar, I think, now that I reflect a little bit more, when I would go to uh, clubs, sports clubs or health clubs, you know. It was just yeah. a different energy, yeah, which made me really uneasy. I want to pause for a second and welcome our other guest. James is on now. Welcome, James. Hi, Helen. Hi, Todd. And hello, Richard. Your voice, your voice is very odd. Is anyone else hearing that? Yeah, it's warbling. I'm not sure what's going yeah, on. Yeah, well, why don't you? we wait and see if we can clear up your... Uh, internet connection first because we won't be able to hear what you're we won't be able to hear what you're saying i just hung up on him i hate to do that but (laughs) it's like i told him to call in so okay um, all right (laughs) so let's go back to the energy between men thank you you know it's interesting because i i was listening to richard say you know some men in certain situations have this in your face energy but i think it's it goes way beyond that also because certainly not all men have that energy but if they don't have that energy they have the energy of stay away from me i don't i'm afraid of you energy yeah so it is it goes all along the spectrum of you know i'm going to dominate you to stay away from me you're going to hurt me but but the spectrum does not include a lot of warm fuzzy come here i'm your brother energy no i would agree with that yeah so it, it's a lot of separating energy right it's so interesting that you say that cuz uh, i pulled a quote from martin luther king that uh, it expresses this exactly he gave a speech uh, at cornell college in 1962 and he says I'm convinced that men hate each other because they fear each other. They fear each other because they don't know each other, and they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other, and they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other. Well, there you have it. Yeah, and that's exactly the problem. I mean, and and uh, I don't know if you caught the very beginning of the show, Richard, but we were talking about this uh, period of time when uh, boys are in their teen years, transitioning through puberty, sometime between the ages of like 12 and say 15, they go through this transition and they get into this uh, kind of mode of what it means to be a man. And I'd like to just describe that because there's uh, this great book by a professor of applied psychology at New York University. Um, her, Her name is Niobe Way and she's the author of Deep Secrets, Boys, Friendships, and the Crisis of Connection. And she and her team of researchers uh, have interviewed thousands of boys over the years. And this research is longitudinal. And what that means is that the same boy is interviewed each of the four years of high school to track changing beliefs and feelings. And these interviews are wide ranging over a variety of topics so that the boys don't realize that the purpose of them is to glean their attitudes toward their friendships with male peers. So they're kind of, you know, they're, they're tracking what's happening with those relationships over that period of time. So what, uh, what Niobe Way has found is that in early adolescence, 
boys speak very openly about the importance of deep sharing male friendships in their lives. And I watched a YouTube video with her actually sharing what the boys said to each other. And it's amazing, the, the perceptiveness, the caring, the loving. Uh, it's just amazing. Uh, but then by middle to late adolescent, uh, adolescence, all this changes. They begin to speak about not needing close male friendships and not wanting them in their lives. That what's is so, amazing. Yeah, and what's so interesting is at the same time, a longing for those close relationships slips through in their words. So they, they end up contradicting themselves because it kind of like comes out <laughs> anyway. So she postulates that what happens during this time is that the boys become aware of looming manhood and what society expects from them as men. Society tells them that feelings are for girls and that boys should be independent and have no feelings. Right. And, so these messages clash with what their hearts say, and uh, you know, which is that they need and want the support that comes from close male friendships. With it, so they get stuck in this place where, if they openly admit their needs, they will suffer alienation and ridicule from their peers. So they try their best to convince them, themselves that they don't need such things. And I think that's kind of where we are. So with men feeling co- totally alienated, and I'm sure this exacerbates the the. Uh, at least the societal um, presentation that men are hypersexual. Right. And, you know, because they want to present that I don't need men, I need sex with women. <laughs> yes. So, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, there's so, a connection. Yeah, and that, that that is also part of that bravado that keeps men fearing other men because he's maybe more sexual than I am or he's more virile than I am or whatever they think, you know, his penis is bigger than mine. You know, it's all of that stuff that also contributes to making men afraid of other men. Yes. Yeah. Because they can't show that they need connection from men. So it all gets channeled or a lot of it anyway gets channeled. Uh, James is finally on again and I'd like to welcome him back to the show. And I know you had a comment from earlier. We've been talking about... You know, the research, James, about the research in middle school and about how men channel a lot of their energy towards sexuality instead of bonding with each other. Yes. Well, what I'd like to share is about the consequences of what happens to uh, a male, taking my own life as an example, from that kind of conditioning, which is that here I am in my early 70s, right? And I've only, in recent years come to realize that all these things I was striving for uh, in life that I thought was right for me uh, in the way of my male conditioning, I was very ambitious, I uh, strived to be uh, a CPA, then to be an attorney, and to, to demonstrate prowess, and this sort of thing, when in fact I've learned over time that uh, I'm really more of a nurturer. And of course that's considered a feminine quality, right? Yeah. And yet, uh, it's so important to embrace that because I feel more fulfilled when I'm in that kind of role as when I had my career as a hypnotherapist, I was more in the role of a nurturer and it was very fulfilling. But then when I was in the role as the attorney, as the champion, fighting it out in court for my client, uh, it was not uh, at all in tune with me, with my nature. And so that male conditioning to achieve, to strive, to win, uh, really kind of uh, misdirected me, my course in life, 
which uh, lasted for decades. So the consequences are pretty uh, extreme when you consider uh, what kind of satisfaction and fulfillment one can have, it's, which uh, I'm experiencing more and more now, when one is in tune with that, one, one's authentic nature, and, and push away the, the identity image of what I need to be in order to be okay. You know, what's fascinating about that, too, is just as you're describing it, that the lawyer identity is a very separating identity. Yes, it is. It's, you know, everybody is against everybody else. And yet it certainly is uh, aligned with the male uh, cultural identity. So that's that's a great share, James. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. And it and it kind of is borne out by the research. I, I did try and find some, you know, just some research or, you know, data on the negative impacts of hypermasculinity. So I think it would be good to go to those now. Um, so there's a sociologist, her name's uh, Kirsten Springer, and she studied a thousand middle-aged men and found that those who most rigidly adhered to ideals of masculinity, such as emotional stoicism and toughness, reported the worst physical health over a four-year period. I'm sorry, a 40-year period. <laughs> so isn't that interesting? You know, like yeah. our physical health actually is totally correlated with us and our emotional state. Uh, I mean, it completely makes sense. We are not, you know, we're integrated. We're body, mind, and spirit. So um, some other psychologists also found that adhering to norms of masculinity, such as emotional stoicism for boys and men, is significantly associated with poor mental and physical health and with high rates of risky behavior and violence. So, not a surprise. Not a surprise, and it's so, so time to have an inner revolution. Yes. So that's what I wanted, you know, James and uh, Richard to be with us today to talk about how do we recover our sense of connection. So we had a recent experience in our workshop in which we 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 went a long way to recovering that sense of connection. I mean, we, we've been working at this for quite a while. But, um, but what happened in this workshop was really, um, I think, an opening to something. Is, it was kind of funny what happened afterwards is we kind of retreated back into our <laughs> safe little caves. But, um, but we at least were aware of that. So I'd, I'd like to um, describe this process or actually have hopefully men, you know, join us in this process on the radio show. Um, cause what we, what we identified is, um, there were, um, experiences that we all had in our lives that might've preceded that, that period of time that we talked about when, um, you know, boys tend to go into that stoic place, um, was even earlier. Um, and each one of us had some experience that we had for me, it was my, I picked it up from my mom and what her relationship with my dad was like. And I kind of just got intuitively that my, you know, that my dad wasn't safe. And, and I experienced that in, you know, in, in real time with him spanking me and, you know, yelling at me. And, um, and so we all have some experience that we had as we're growing up, some kind of experience that, you know, led us to feel, um, not open with other men. Um, so what, we came to is a, a process that we did in the workshop where we tried to recover that sense of connection and where that came from is our relationship with our fathers. So there was some point in time 
when, you know, we looked forward to our fathers coming home. And we would look forward to just like running up to our dads and just saying, daddy, 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 and just jumping into his arms, right? And then at some point that went away. So we just took a moment, and I'd like us all to take a moment now and just uh, imagine that we're there at our front door of our house or wherever our dad came in, wherever we met him, and imagine him coming home and just taking a moment and envision that in your mind's eye and allow yourself to feel that feeling that you have as a man when your dad, or as a woman, when, you're, when your dad's there and you're just excited to see him as he's arriving home. Okay, so I just uh, felt so much enthusiasm, you know, more at- attraction and energy than I uh, had expected. Uh, what was the experience like for you, all of you, really, uh, for you, James, and why don't you start? Well, you know, for me, it's amazing uh, because uh, throughout much of my knowledge of my father, I experienced him as a detached uh, disciplinarian. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he administered corporal punishment and all that stuff. But uh, in this experience that you just uh, guided, uh, I experienced uh, him greeting me with love and joy and warmth, and uh, it really kind of melted a lot of those uh, barriers that I'd held in my mind uh, about him and about our relationship. So uh, this is great. Uh, mm-hmm. I feel much more uh, willing to be open and trusting I think with other men, uh, because of this kind of experience, as opposed to the other kind of experience where I always felt they were rivals and rival competitors, and we had to fight for, you know, our top dog and all that stuff. So this is this is really helpful. And so just forgetting all that other male bogus ego identity stuff, and just be in the connection. And with that, yeah. I feel more open to connecting with other men. Great, thank you. Richard? Yeah, what the word that came to me first right this afternoon, having done this in a retreat, was just I just felt a happiness and a connection to my dad. And like he was very happy to see me, and I almost have this picture of him in an army uniform because he was in World War II, although I was born after World War II, um, throwing me up in the air, you know, and just kind of that playful. Um, happy experience just connected to each other and that's not something that I remember feeling a lot of as I got older Um, one of the things that I think is connected with this too is because you were talking about boys in adolescence early and mid-adolescence and how we shift and Mm -hmm. I just happened to, to watch a video today it was on Facebook, and I've seen it before, but it was about these fifth graders who were being very kind, caring, and loving to one of their classmates. They weren't bullying him. And he happened to be a kid with special needs, and they just included him. They embraced him, you know, and, and they were proud of what they were doing. And I, I witnessed it. I used to work in um, K-12 education in most the last several years of my career were at the elementary level and I, I would see that and you know I would witness the it was almost 
com- parents would almost comment to me sometimes, not almost, they did comment sometimes about boys' sensitivity, and I would you know, often say, yeah, you know, boys are just as sensitive as girls. But this, what this kind of, I don't even know what to call it, socialization maybe, interferes mm-hmm. with a lot of that natural um, natural ability to relate and connect and, and feel for others. So I just wanted to mention that because it was connected to what you talked about before. But And so, you know, and the other thing I wanted to mention was my own father. We used to wrestle periodically. I don't remember doing it a lot. But I have this clear memory of maybe when I was by 12, and I have a brother who's a couple of years younger than me, that we stopped doing that. We didn't have any physical contact, you know. And I always wondered about why that was. And somebody said to me, well, maybe you guys were overpowering your dad. And maybe so. But I think what I was really addressing more was, you know, the physical connection that you have. Today, I think today in our world, um, fathers and sons hug a lot more than they did when I was growing up in the 50s. And so, but, you know, so I, I missed that connection with my dad and noticed it at, at that age. Mm. Yeah, I, uh, it's, it's fascinating because I'm, I'm reflecting on my own life with my own son. And uh, as we're talking about this, um, you know, I'm really, I'm kind of uh, struggling to keep that connection. Not struggling, but just noticing you know, when he, when he was younger, there was a lot more playfulness in the relationship. And I would, you know, like you had mentioned with your dad, throw him up in the air. And, you know, we would do human baby slide in the bathtub when he was a toddler. <laughs> and then now it's, it's kind of like my energy or my focus has shifted to getting him to do things, which creates a whole different kind of dynamic in the relationship. And it's important. I mean, I, I have to support him to get his homework done and to do things, but it, feels like, you know, more of my energy is focused on kind of battling him, you know, um, instead of trying to, you know, uh, as our, we had our recent guest, um, I forget in his name, but about cooperative parenting, collaborative parenting, you know, Ross Green. Yeah, Ross Green, because that is so important, because if I just stay in that mode all the time, then that's going to fo- foster and further that kind of feeling of disconnection with him. So I ha- I can't abdicate that responsibility and just be totally, you know, I mean, it's it's really finding that balance of being loving and at the same time being firm on things that I need to be, but I don't have to be I don't that has doesn't have to be all of who I am. So that's well, what I'm I, seeing out of this conversation. Yes, please, Helen. Well, I think that I mean, this goes along with the inner revolution, you know, oneness, accountability and mutual support. Uh, and Dr. Green was certainly coming from that same kind of philosophy that in order to hold our kids accountable, we do not have to dominate them into doing things, you know, or be, you know, quote unquote firm, but we have to collaborate with them. And I think that it's that whole, our whole culture is so hierarchical that you know when we're when they're tiny you know we can play the throw them up in the air game and you know we're clearly we're the boss and they're the baby and then when it gets to be more physical equals it's like we don't know how to relate 
And then there comes the question of, you know, am I going to appear dominating if we're still wrestling or am I going to appear sexual if I'm wrestling with my daughter or, you know, all these questions that, of course, we're not prepared to just simply talk to our kids about. Right. It's like, why not have a conversation with your sons about, you know, I love that physicality we had when we were young, that physical affection when you guys were young. How can we still do that? How can we build that in? Or or do we need to just let it transfer into another kind of behavior, more the collaboration on a, on a verbal level? But we need that touch. Yeah. You know, there's a research, a lot of research done lately about how touching makes you happy. And I think that, you know, again, it so often in the teen years, it gets channeled into sexuality because the kids are dying to be touched, but they don't want to look uncool and still be snuggling with their parents <laughs> or their girlfriends or their boyfriends, you know, afraid of homosexuality or, you know, all those crazy things. So we just, one thing, we have to talk to each other. Totally. And that's one of the things I love about your men's group is, you know, you're talking about all these things. You're having these experiences with each other. You're hugging each other. You're yes. trying to live it differently. It's so true. And so let's uh, take a moment to let people know about our Interrevolutionary Men's Group and how they can, you know, find out more about it. It's interrevolutionarymen.org. And we can learn about our mission and, you know, kind of, you know, what what we're up to, what we're trying to do is, is uh, you know, change this within ourselves um, and also change it in the next generation by parenting our boys differently and also by working with boys in schools like we did, like we have done with the uh, Unleashing the Power of Kids uh, program and and just many other ways. So I think we should continue talking about how, what happened after the workshop. And, you know, we, we did this exercise. We felt this connection. We buddied up with a person from the workshop to, you know, call them and not, uh, and call them to just see how they're doing. You know, let's just reach out to care with other men. And, you know, many of us struggled in doing that. Um, And, you know, I think it's just we have many years of training in the other way of being, you know, being on our own, uh, handling ourselves, being the Lone Ranger. So how are we going to break that? Well, you know, I think those follow-up calls have proven incredibly helpful, at least for me. Uh, Richard and I uh, have buddied up, and we've had very good connections with each other since that workshop. Uh, a lot of real warmth and, and caring, and and this is in contrast to earlier on uh, when he and I were both relatively new uh, in working with these kind of processes, and and I felt some sort of a ego competition and so on, uh, but now all of that's gone. It's just gone, and there's a very Wonderful. warm, uh, caring connection between us. Wouldn't you re- agree with that, Richard? Yeah, it's very different than it used to be. Even when we were on a support call, um, there was tension, either mm-hmm. because of something I would say or how it was interpreted between us. Mm-hmm. And it, it created conflict and separation. It didn't. It didn't move us closer together. And yeah. I, I think we've we've both done whatever we've 
the work we needed to individually and in, in a group context too to help with that. But so you're right. Yeah, it's very different. It's you know, it's like yeah, it's just fun to look forward to the call, and we never know what we're going to talk about, but we always end up connecting about something and just relating and supporting each other and talking, not just talking about things that we're doing or our interests or did you see that movie or, you know, but more about, well, this is how I'm feeling about that and or this is an experience I've had and it, it's causing me to feel this way and what do you think about that? So it's it's a whole different kind of dialogue than I'm really used to with uh, most men. That's so great to hear. I'm, I'm so excited to hear that because it is the absolute antithesis of what we're talking about, That, which it sounds like, it's so interesting, is it sounds like the two of you used to react to one another in that stereotypic way of, you know, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you, you know, you can't act that way around me or whatever whatever it was it, it, there's kind of a a competitive energy going on it sounds like yeah um, there was there was a defensiveness on my part i know and um you know and i would project uh i used the word intimidation before i wasn't meaning i don't think to be intimidating but i would project my anger and that wouldn't you know that wouldn't facilitate any kind of talking it was like okay you feel that way well this is what i think and you know it just kind of shut things down so um yeah so you're which, right which again that. i think is yeah it's such a stereotypic male way of being with each other and and a beautiful example of why men are afraid of each other and don't connect <laughs> and, and it's so great yeah. that, that through the work in the Interrevolutionary Men's Group, you guys have worked past that to the point where you just love each other openly now and really mm-hmm. connect and care about each other. And it's what every man is longing for, but settles for the aforementioned way of relating, which is so painful. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking about James and myself. I mean, we had this very similar uh kind of relationship it was always kind of like let's see where he screwed up and let me point that out yeah true (laughs) we both were doing it to each other we were both like see i know more than he does or we'd always find way some way to undermine or undercut the other the other guy let me find your insecurity and take advantage of it to make myself to make myself feel more like a man my god you know i'm so glad we're done with that james yeah yeah me too me too. It's uh, it's not a good use of our energy, is it? <laughs> no, no. And it just think, breeds, yeah. I think it often happens between fathers and sons, too. Yeah. That over time, of course, you do learn each other's insecurities and, and weaknesses. And rather than supporting them and saying, I'm noticing that you're, let's say, you're distractible again, Dad, you know, how can I support you? Or you say that to your son, I notice that you're distractible, Aiden, and, you know, how can I support you to get your homework done when you're feeling so distractible? Instead, we kind of, we use it in some more negative way to shame each other or something else besides support. Yes, yes. That's what I'm really seeing. That's what I'm really seeing out of this conversation is I still have a lot more work to do with with Aiden and Luke, you know. Too much berating and not enough connecting. (laughs) Oh, my God. 
it's like ah it's it's hard to see it you know it's hard to own it um because i want to think i'm being a good father and you know i am in many ways but i'm just seeing all the the areas where i'm not and i think that's good i mean that's that's part of why we do this radio show is because it helps us to you know openly admit our our uh, areas of you know where we need to keep working on it you know it reminds me of when Richard is my husband, and when we got together 10 years ago, his son was 10, and there were things happening with his son that nobody was talking about, and that, you know, I think that is also a very common thing, is that fathers just don't talk to their sons about anything substantive. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying you, Todd, because I know you do. And yeah. you've gotten lots of therapy. And, and things have changed tremendously in the last 10 years. You know, Richard talks very openly with his son. And, and you know, we can, uh, we can find very, you know, lots of examples of that. And he can, he can talk more openly about that himself. But, uh, but I just noticed that it's another way that men relate to their kids. If they're not intimidating, um, then they sometimes just avoid talking to them or they pander to them. And that also gives the the boys a sense of separation from men. It's like, oh, you can't talk to them. Right. You can't really bring up real things with them. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes me think of, um, well, both things, really, that I didn't connect. I mean, looking back 10 years ago, I didn't connect in the way that I'm able to now with my son. And I think, I, I mean, I felt discomfort and I'm sure pain around that. And it's likely he did too. But I, I think I tried to assuage that for both of us by buying him things, you know, and giving him things. And um, not, and also, I'm not really, I don't know if being firm is the right term, but just not holding him accountable, you know, um, in a loving way, not, not in a, okay, you don't do this, I'm going to nail you to the wall, and that, that kind of approach, but just say, you know, let's look at this. How can this be a lesson for you? What can you learn from this? You know, so um, I can see that looking back, that, that there were things that I now, and I think I am doing them now with him, but certainly would do differently. And don't you think that's a, a kind of a backlash, so to speak, from being so dominated as a child yourself by your father? I mean, it, it's like we, we've swung the other direction to, you know, oh, we're not yeah. going to do any of that. Yeah, that's a really good point, because I did feel that, that domination from my family and the culture that I was in. And it's like, oh, no, I'm not going to do that to him. I mean, I know I told myself that, and I, I did go let the pendulum swing too far uh, the other way, and that was. How do you? I was going to ask you all. How do you think that that pendulum swing the other way contributes to being separated from men just as much as the pendulum swing of being dominating over your sons? That's a good question. I, I can answer that. I think we all should answer it, but I uh, I can answer it. Um, and because this happens with me sometimes, it's um, it's a it's a uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
It's a avoidance technique. It just ends the conversation. It's like you it it gives you an out to not have the conversation. The conversation that needs to happen. So it's a it's a way of actually avoiding the three principles of the inner revolution, <laughs> which is oneness, accountability, and, and mutual support. You know, those go together. So if there's no support, there's no accountability because the person's just kind of like left on their own. Or, um, you know, if we go buy them an ice cream and we don't address what needs to be addressed about them not doing their work, then, you know, that's just avoiding the whole thing. How does that contribute to them being afraid of men or disconnecting uh things that ties it back together well it doesn't they don't learn that there's a way of you know that there's another way they don't have an experience of connecting with the men with the man in a way that's you know caring supportive loving and also that supports you know their highest good if you will so um they just kind of I think, learn to just give up on the whole, just give up on men. Yeah, I think it promotes separation uh, between a father and son and distance. And um, it was another thought that I had, but it, it just left me. But certainly those two things. It's a, a resource. I don't think it helps our sons uh, see us as a resource for them and a support for them. You know, it's like we're off over somewhere else doing other things and we, we're, we're giving the message, well, at some level, apparently it could be interpreted as, yeah, don't bother me with that. I don't really want to deal with that. I think that's right on, absolutely right on, that that they grow up believing that men are, that, that men don't connect because their father isn't connecting to them. Their father is off doing whatever you know, even if it's just watching TV, that that's that's more important than connecting to the sun. So I think that's a very loud and clear message. That's a good one. Wow, I'm seeing stuff in my household right at the right now. How about you, James? Well, you know, I got that message from my father too that men don't connect because uh, you know he'd come home from work and he'd sit down and have the TV on and be reading the paper, and there was no connecting. Or we'd play sports uh, in the backyard, basketball, and uh, it was always competitive. And no matter how young we were, he always had to win. <laughs> it was amazing. Uh, and so there was always that undercurrent of uh, detachment, disconnection. And uh, another thought that I'd, I'd had that uh, relates to something that came out earlier was that in high school, when I was at, when I was fourteen, before I really got really pointed toward what am I going to do when I graduate and where am I going to go because that's when I swung into that gear of really competing hard for uh, getting into the best possible college and moving toward the best possible career and try to trump the competition no pun intended Uh, (laughs) (laughs) and I can remember that prior to that at the age of 14 uh, uh, I was actually pretty religious uh, in the Lutheran Church, kind of a mainstream Christianity, and I was very inspired by what the minister had to share about the example of Jesus' life as a gentle man, loving and caring. And uh, I considered moving toward becoming a minister, but um, that didn't last very long. 
uh, because uh, the further I got along in high school, the more I realized that I had to go for these other things, hyperachievement, get to a good college, get to a good job, et cetera, et cetera. And, and now I've come to see that that's bogus. Why, why should I be competing for stuff that society says is desirable? Here's where you make the most money. Instead of thinking, well, what do I need for me? And who cares what other people are doing? Uh, and if somebody else gets that job or that position at that college, uh, well, then maybe that's a good thing that that door was closed and I had another door open. Um, so had I just stayed true to myself and said, okay, I feel a lot of religiosity, a lot of spirituality, maybe I'll move toward that, uh, there wouldn't have been so much of a competitive spirit in me, uh, just pursuing those materialistic, uh, ambitious kind of goals and status in society. Yeah. So this all sprang from uh, that whole culture uh, of males are separate, males compete, you have to go one up, you have to win. Now, I'm not sure if that completely addressed what, Helen, you were asking, because there's, you know, there's the... Um, there's the two sides that you were talking about. The one, one being, um, help me out here. <laughs> one being the. Well, I was I was asking how that made them feel separate from men. When the, when the boys uh, don't. When the get fathers the, didn't connect to them. Right. Yeah. Well, well pander to them, but it doesn't. From other males. I mean that. That was the role model, and that was the experience. And so that was the way to be, yeah. to cope in the world. That's the message I got. Yep. Wow. It's, it's interesting because I'm feeling just a, a pain right now. I, I mean, it's great that we're talking about this. I think, you know, it, it's that longing for connection and seeing even with my own sons how I, you know, am getting in the way of it. So I guess that's um, what I need to work on next. Uh, yeah. And, you know, the, the antidote is, is what you guys are doing, and I, I, it is so painful, and I'm glad we've talked a lot about the pain, and whether it was your father competing with you, or your father dominating you, or you pandering to your son, or overly controlling him. I mean, there are so many iterations of it, aren't there? It's almost it's unbelievable how many different kinds of tactics we've tried to raise our kids but yeah. you know so many of them have led to feelings of separation between the father and the son you know no matter which way you have tried to overcome your past you know it doesn't you know or do it the same way even by accident mm-hmm. um, so I, I think that it's unbelievably painful to take a look at all of that and yet I want to come back to what you were saying in the beginning Todd you know how do we overcome this and imagining that connection that you had with your dad imagining wanting to have him come home and feeling excited to have him come home and then translating that into buddying up yourselves on the calls is you know is making a real difference and I know that I know that you and Richard have sons and you are now trying to really do them differently. And I, I'd like to, for one thing, I'd like to hear the things that you do now with your sons that you feel you're doing right 
to try and <laughs> okay. to, well, I would to try yeah. and heal to try and heal this fear of men. Yeah, well, I can share one thing that happened just recently, and I shared this on our call. Um, my son was, you know, he plays he plays online a lot, you know, because that's kind of where he hangs out with his friends, right? And he he has those kind of relationships that we're talking about. I mean, they talk about everything, and I think they they feel really close, like him and his current best friends. Um, and they play a lot together in games online. And um, and one day, uh, his closest friend booted him from his clan. And Aiden, you know, I, I just happened to walk by his bedroom and right as this was happening. And he was like, you know, he was upset, but he was already in that stoicism thing going like, no, it's it's fine. Nothing's going on. And I said, Aiden, I can tell something's going on. So I have the emotional immaturity and the sensitivity to know that it's not fine and that there's something was really going on, right? And he was, you know, he was almost in tears. He wasn't crying, but he was, you know, kind of uh, tearing up. And uh, his friend, you know, he was just upset. And I just went and sat next to him on his bed. He went to just go, like, take a nap. I guess his friend ended up contacting him not long afterwards and, you know, apologized and invited him back into the clan. But Aiden was kind of like, this is over. My friendship with him is done, you know. And um, and I just laid with him next to him on the bed and said, you know, I, I'm here with you. You don't have to pretend that it's okay. You know, you can cry. It's completely okay to cry. And, um, you know, uh, don't believe anything about what you've heard that it's, you know, you have to be tough. You have to be strong. That's not true, and I just you know laid there next to him on his bed, and he he you know he didn't he was uncomfortable. He wanted me to like get away, but I just stayed there with him, put my hand on his back, and just was kind of giving him chi. And you know it felt really good on my end to be able to do that, and um, you know to know I was there for him that way. That's a beautiful, beautiful story, and I'm sure that in spite of how he was acting in the moment that he was very touched by what you were offering him. Yeah, and he does. I mean, he comes toward me and hugs me. He's 13. You know, I don't know how long that's going to last, but hopefully it'll continue throughout his teenage years. You know, every night before he goes to bed, he wants to give me a hug. And, you know, I know he, I know he, uh, because I hear from Christine, he talks to her more about, like, what's really going on with him. So uh, it's, it's good to know that. It's definitely working. It's making a difference. Richard, do you have something to offer? And, you know, we've only got about three minutes left now to the show, believe it or not. But I'd like to hear what you believe you are doing right now to encourage your son to connect to men. Um, I've initiated a regular contact with him over lunch because we live an hour apart, he lives with his mom and stepdad, and uh, he's in community college, and so and he has a part-time job, so his schedule is full, and he's creating his own life, so I've set that up for him, you know, and that that was something that I purposely wanted to do. I said, I miss seeing you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to be a part of it in the way that I can be, and so that's been a really... Um, positive thing for both of us. And then the other thing I just realized, too, is that I've encouraged him and supported uh, emotionally and financially that he get therapy regularly. And, um, you know, and he knows that I've 
experienced a lot of hours that way myself, but in a lot of counseling situations, either individually or as a couple or as part of a group. And um, I think that gives him the message that, you know, we all need help. And I, you can't figure this out on your own because he tends to, he's an only child, and I think he has a tendency to, to go that route. And uh, so I think those two things primarily now come to mind. There may be other things, but those are the most immediate that I see. I love the one about therapy, particularly, of course, being a therapist, I'm a big advocate, but <laughs> I, do, I do think it, it breaks down that stoic uh, image that men have been taught that they need to have. And I, I think that that goes a long way toward men not being afraid of each other. If they realize that men do get help, then they can ask each other for help and so forth. We've got one minute left, and I do want to talk about next week's show. Yes, tell us what's happening next week, Helen. Okay, how are we? How are screening, which is another word, I guess, for screen time, and our sedentary lifestyles affecting our kids' well-being? Margaret Lamar, the Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Children and Nature network explores this issue with us next week i'm really excited about this because i am just so freaked out about all of the screen time our kids get and they never go outdoors our children are experiencing alarming rates of stress depression obesity diabetes and other health risks associated with sedentary lifestyles according to many researchers and all of our obvious observations at the same time children are increasingly disconnected from the natural world This disconnect is more prevalent in lower-income urban neighborhoods where health risks are already high. A growing body of scientific evidence suggests that the creation of nature-rich urban environments can help improve overall health, creativity, and social cohesion. Join us next week as Chris Reese and myself speak with with, uh, Margaret Lamar, the Director of Strategic Initiatives at the Children and Nature Network. Lamar tackles the huge issue of children's sedentary lifestyle and their often unmet need to play in nature. She personally works in communities across the U.S. to connect children to outdoor learning and play. So listen and call in if you can. It will be enlightening, informative, and inspiring. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening today. And I hope that you will spread the word about the wonderful Interrevolutionary Men's Group. Thanks, James and Richard, and have a great one, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.